HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the way that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org slash COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists, to firsthand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners, to reports on how the crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep food radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Banquet, a podcast that is all about the highs and lows of all things edible, spreadable, and portable with your host, Zara Tangora, and Nicole. Sup? Sup? Sup, brah? What's going on? What do you mean? What's new? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell's new with you? Nothing. Nothing? <laughs> Are you still sitting in the same place that you were unmoved and unchanged from last week? No. Uh, I don't remember. I was probably in the kitchen last time, so yes. Amazing. Different clothes. Do you have your head in or out of the oven at this point? (laughs) (laughs) I am. Yeah, I was wearing a pair of jeans every day. And then I realized that they were. It was time for me to change into a different pair of jeans. So <laughs> that's the big news around your uh, your name, your neck of the woodsies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had been not looking at the news for a while, and then uh-huh. I had to come back from that. Um, What'd you learn? <laughs> I mean, everything's completely fucked, even worse yeah. than it was before. So just it's when terrible. you think it can't get any worse, it just does. 
what's really chapping your ass the most? Um, I mean, the, the guy that got shot, I'm sorry, it's hard for me to pronounce his name, Ahmed, Ahmed? Yeah, um, I also don't have the pronunciation in front of me, but what an absolutely sickeningly terrible story. I just don't, it feels, it feels frightening because they just saw someone jogging and jumped in their car with their guns and shot him. Yeah. And they still yeah. have not gone to jail. <laughs> right. Well, they're white, right? So there yeah, must be. This just... is fucking crazy. Yeah. Also, so like the video came out, um, which then I learned that the police have had the video the entire time since February. Since February. Nice. Mm. Wonderful. It's so it's so disgraceful. I mean, it is a time when we are just reminded of a fact uh, that of something that's never gone away in this country, it's just been masked. And, you know, we have made ourselves believe that it's something that's disappeared, but racism is so prevalent and so insidious and terrible and um, just part of the fabric of this country and it's gone nowhere. And it's only maybe gotten worse even in ways. It's worse. And it's terrible and it's terrifying and you know, I don't know. There's I mean, so I... many reports coming out of police fucking with black and brown people and using social distancing as an excuse. It's oh, yeah. really sickening. Yeah. I fucking don't even know. I just hate it. Um, it's horrible. It's, so, it's... yeah, that's what's chapping my ass. As the French say. Um, but I don't even like saying it like that. It's what's actually like making it difficult for me to understand how to live in this world present day. I know. It's in no way is it funny. It's really disturbing and, and terrible. And, um, you know, I think we had discussed this definitely in person and I'm not sure or on the phone rather since we haven't seen each other in a very long time. But uh, we had been discussing in in weeks leading up to this. And, you know, something that I had mentioned myself, we were sitting in Roberta's actually, I think probably the last time we were together. And I had like candidly mentioned, I was kidding, but I was like, oh, I should run for office. And you're like, no, you shouldn't because you are a white person. And (laughs) at the time, I have to admit, like, I was a little bit like, okay, so what? But I'm a woman and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, if I have a good idea, if I have a you know, enthusiasm behind me, I should run. But, um, I am, you know, it didn't take me very long to realize that you were absolutely correct. And I think that if we can do anything in this moment, really do something, it's giving up our power in government and representation in government to try to get more people of color elected to government and all kinds of positions of power, because, we don't deserve it. We can't do anything good with it. <laughs> and we don't people, deserve it. Yeah, we don't deserve it. We can't do anything good with it. And I think that if people of color are represented more strongly in government, there is that is the only hope for things to become more equal. Really. I think that the only hope is to abolish the government and murder them all. <laughs> totally. Or that. Either way. <laughs> I keep talking like this, and I think that the FBI is going to, like, come get me. Oh, so, 100%. I is do it not... the FBI, the CIA? Who's going to come? I mean, I don't know who it is. Maybe both of them. The FBI doesn't care, though, right? Do they care? Who's the ones that cares if you talk about killing the government? 
I think it's HRN, actually, at this point, is your first, the first um, thing you need to be concerned about. Right, HRN. They do not express They don't endorse views. that. No, they don't express the view, those views. They do not agree. They um, definitely don't want to do that. They love not doing that. Yes. Um, I think if the but, first person that's going to come to your house is Jeff Bezos's headless henchman. <laughs> or like he has, like, the, those death horses from... Yeah, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, or I'm thinking of like Ichabod Crane's horse. (laughs) If he came here, though, how's he going to get out to my apartment? Dude, what would you do if Ichabod Crane tap, tap, tapped on your front door right now? Go. Right now? Yeah, right now. I wouldn't answer the door because I'm not expecting anyone. (laughs) Fair enough. You're here, here, folks. You heard it here, here, folks. I am losing my mind. Hear ye, hear Hear ye, hear ye. Ichabod Crane is hear ye. (laughs) This is derailed. Terribly. Go tell it on the mountain. Ichabod Crane (laughs) has brought you a pizza. Uh, (laughs) Wow. Um, Yeah, I think if he mentioned that he had a pizza, well, he can't talk. He doesn't have a head. Mm -hmm. (laughs) One way you can lure me to the door as a murderer or intruder is to tell me that you have pizza. That's true. That's a great offer. It doesn't matter if you're not expecting anyone. It doesn't matter if the bottom lock to your building is always locked and somehow someone's up at your apartment door with a pizza (laughs) and you don't have a peephole. It does matter if you can smell the pizza or not. If you can't smell the pizza, there's no pizza. Are you smelling with the Ichabod crane it's cooking? (laughs) (laughs) It's pizza. Um, yeah, but I, I, in other news related things, I think that something, if you're interested people that listen to this podcast and me telling you what to read, um, I think something that's really good to start learning more about in this time is, is prison, prison abolitionist, uh, stuff. So like there's a lot, there's a lot of activist groups that are out there and there's a lot of stuff you can read about it and it's it's not just like opening the gates to the prisons and letting everyone run free although so many people that are in our prison systems deserve that um of course (laughs) but um it's something that's really there's a lot to like read up on and i think that more people in my circle should know about it and be um be able to kind of discuss it and so it's, just your circle not my circle what's wrong with my circle you you're in my circle okay okay i'm sorry go ahead so yeah if you want to be friends with me going forward <laughs> you need to do some research on prison abolitionism <laughs> amazing and and let's discuss it's gonna be it's gonna be a good topic it's a good thing to learn more about i knew very very little about it um until um six weeks ago so okay great i'm gonna read up because i am i don't know anything about prison prison abolitionism although obviously prison reform is something that is very near and dear to uh, a cause that is near and dear to my heart yeah let's get rid of them yeah um horrifying yeah so and that is a perfect segue into our topic today which is sandwiches (laughs) (laughs) seamless transition they go hand in hand because we all know the sandwiches in prison are the worst part of mm-hmm. the whole experience. That's why people got to get out of there. Just ask Paul Newman. You know what? I had another snafu with not knowing what a movie was about. I don't know if I've already mentioned this, but <laughs> as everybody in the country now knows, I thought Sophie's Choice was about abortion. 
<laughs> which I was actually remembering and just laughing, chuckling alone in my apartment about the other day to imagine that someone just would have no. There's uh-huh. there's, there's so many bad jokes about Sophie's Choice, like in the world. Like every time you were like, oh, she's it's a joke about whether or not to get an abortion. Sure, but you know what? Hey, that's a tough choice too. Not as tough as which one of your living children you should incinerate uh, in a fire, but it's also a tough choice. I myself have made a Sophie's choice about abortion. Oh, God. Um, but anyway, so I also didn't know what Cool Hand Luke was about. I thought it was about a motorcycle gang. <laughs> that one I think is less less like prevalent in our like psyches as people our age that's true the egg eating scene is something that is like that's what people know about it's so many eggs although you still would they could have still been a motorcycle gang that ate a lot of eggs for anyone who has not seen cool hand luke it is about prison and uh paul newman goes to prison and (laughs) he doesn't adjust well there but prison seems kind of fun Honestly, I don't know, like, in that version of prison. Sure. I thought it was strange that there was, I mean, I know that was a time when there was really no people of color in movies at all, but there was no, it was just, like, a prison full of, like, 20-year-old white dudes. It was very weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's just, like, so like that weird. that prison didn't exist. <laughs> yeah, and they're all just, like, kind of having a great time, except for Paul Newman, who just, he's got to be him. So he gets he's the like, out of there. He's got a hair in his butt or something? <laughs> yes, he has one hair in his butt. <laughs> Isn't that the phrase? Isn't that the uh, It sounds right. I think... Uh, hair in your ass? I, I don't know what it is. I guess if a hair grows into your ass, that's a problem. A hair... But most people have hair in their butt already. Not up their, not up their butt. <laughs> I think it's when the hair goes up your butt is when it becomes problematic. And According to Paul you, Newman. If you're eating a meal right now, as most people do while listening to our podcast, once put, again, we apologize. For- please put down that triple decker club <laughs> and listen up. Oh, no. Do you want to start talking about sandwiches? Yeah, sandwiches. I mean, you know, sandwiches or like what I like to say, open face sandwiches. Are they really sandwiches? Are they? Um, that's not really. It's more yes, just they a pile are. Of Shut food. up. No, I wasn't. That was a rhetorical question. Oh, oh. <laughs> they sure are. I mean, I love an open face Sammy, but is it um, a sandwich? Who knows? Yeah, okay. So all of this is from Wikipedia. They have so much information. Um, mm-hmm. With a little starring guest role from the How to Boil Water cookbook. Ooh. So, oh, are you, are you have anything, anything to drink? Uh, yeah, I, well, I just chugged a glass of, like, wine. I don't even know what it's called, but I bought you a bottle. It's this, like, wacky Slovenian <clears throat> kind of dark rosé. Yeah, it looks and really good. It is fucking, like, one of those, like, just majorly glue-glue wines that is just very chuggable. Yeah. Oh, speaking of glue-glue, there's a, did you know about glue-glue magazine? Mm-hmm. I, I did. didn't, we should, yeah. Well, I mean, we, they're not paying us for this promotion, but... Uh, not yet! <laughs> they're pretty cool, and they feature our friends in the Service Workers Coalition, who I just had a meeting with. I'm going to be helping them, volunteering to help them 
and oh, that's awesome. data. <laughs> oh, great. That's so awesome. Yes. Let's do a quick, before we get into sandwiches, let's do a quick plug for the Service Workers Coalition who was started by some friends of ours and uh, really just wonderful people. It's a mutual aid fund um, and they got their nonprofit status, right? Or they filed for it and it's in process, something along those lines. Okay. They've run, they've raised an incredible amount of money for service workers, um, giving $50 stipends each week for groceries, um, really, really helping people out. And it just was started by three folks who uh, work in the service industry and have hearts of gold and really have done something extremely significant, uh, a true grassroots uh, campaign. So it was really Yeah, awesome. it's really incredible. And yeah, the way that you can utilize them is to just email service workers coalition at gmail and and honestly just ask for what you need um and if you don't need anything you should give them all of your money yeah and you can give them money by donating to <clears throat> at bk service coalition i'm gonna check that actually i might not know um and i think it's at bk service coalition um, I don't know what it is. I think that's what it is. I <laughs> donate to them every week. I, I've been cooking some... Unfortunately, I did this, like... I've been doing this lasagna thing for so long in the week that I decided to donate to them. I only sold one lasagna. But um, I'm going to keep selling more and donating the a portion of the proceeds to them. And basically, one of the things that they say when they're talking about how to think about, you know, wrapping your mind around donating is, like... Which I think makes a lot of sense is like think about what you would spend tips a week going out to a restaurant, and if you can, if you're still working or you have a little extra, try to donate that, and then they will disperse it to folks in the industry who need it. Yeah, uh, the majority of their donations have been small, small donations. So every little bit helps people. Totally. Like if you think about you know, if, whatever, a thousand people donate five dollars. That's two thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> that's one thousand dollars. <laughs> Doll hairs. Okay, cool. <laughs> Service Workers Coalition, follow them on Instagram, donate to them on Venmo. They're amazing. Yes. Um, okay. Now, let's talk about something that's on everyone's mind constantly, open face sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, so, according to Wikipedia... An open-faced sandwich, a.k.a. an open sandwich, is defined as one or more slices of bread with one or more food items on top. It's like fast and loose. Like, they don't give a shit. Like, <laughs> if, we let, if we let these guys decide what's happening, um, that means avocado toast is a sandwich. So think about that. Totally. Wait a minute. What is that noise? Is that in your home? Yeah, it's my heater. Sounds like uh, the Terminator. Okay, continue. Sorry, Amanda. I guess you're just going to edit that out. Like a Bob Crane. Yeah, it's really. Um, I think you could hear it in the last podcast too. Yes, I heard it last week. Not to mention, apologies. The sound last week was so bad. My uh, recording device had run out of batteries. Anyway, okay. Um, yeah, open I mean, face sorry, sandwich. I, I just you. There's no room in my house where you can't hear this insanely loud clanging that comes from the steam pipe <laughs> in my apartment. It's one of the joys that I get from this apartment <laughs> it makes me up in the middle of the night all the time Amazing. um okay so wikipedia just is like whatever take a piece of bread and put one tomato on it and that's a fucking sandwich so <laughs> they, they make the rules and i have to live by them so that's hilarious um another name for an open-faced sandwich is a bread platter no <laughs> yep <laughs> get out of here 
a bread baser or a tartine? Oh, mm-hmm, tartine, we know that. I guess a crostini is basically an open face sandwich. Though. Allegedly. Hmm. I know, right? It's a lot to think about. Yeah, it's um, blowing my mind. So during the Middle Ages, when the world was a much better place. <laughs> <laughs> during the Golden Ages, as I like to call them. All the serfs were walking around um, with <laughs> thin slabs of coarse bread called trenches or trenchers that they used as plates. Um, So essentially they would like put all of the food that they were eating on the bread as a plate. And then they would sometimes eat the soaked up bread, but often they would give it to their dog or their servants to eat. (laughs) Oh God, how humiliating. Here, take my plate, like, and eat it. (laughs) Not just take my plate away, like take my plate away and and eat it. (laughs) Take my plate that I have in my grubby serve hands and... I don't really know if serfs had servants. I guess they were, aren't they the lowest of the low in the. They had servants. <laughs> They're indentured servants. Um, <laughs> the trenchers were. I love this. This is a quote directly from Wikipedia. Um, trenchers were as much the harbinger of open faced sandwiches as they were for disposable crockery. So these were the first paper plates. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. It's like also the first bread bowl. Yeah. It's like Panera can be traced directly back to these people. Um, (laughs) So um, as any of you foodie freaks out there will probably already have thought about and talked about to yourselves during this podcast, as in Nordic countries, the open face sandwich is very traditional, common, and people eat them all the time. But we're not going to talk about any of those because it's hard to pronounce. Smorberg. 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 Um... And so we're just going to talk about some other open-faced sandwiches. One that I found that I was amused by, it's, it's pretty much a vintage sandwich at this point. Um, it's called a tongue toast. What? And it was referenced in the cookbook Cookery for Invalids by <laughs> Jefferson Murray <laughs> in 1887. Um, I was fascinated by this cookbook, so I did a little side deep dive into checking it out. And there are other recipes in that cookbook for these poor invalids that have to eat this shit. Um, oh my god! One of the things that he boiled thinks, scrod. No, they want. He wants them to eat. They want them to drink a lot of beef tea, which is uh, you basically take this is raw. Bone broth. No, you take raw <laughs> beef. Mm-hmm. cut all the gristle out of it, soak it in cold water for a day, and then strain out the beef and make the person drink that. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? What the hell kind of sandwich is that? It's not a sandwich. It's just like I know, I know. I'm kidding. His, that's what those poor bastards had to drink or eat. You drink when they were invalids in the 1800s. Also, oh. apparently, this is not in his cookbook, but apparently another common apparently cookery for invalids is a common thing that people wrote cookbooks about because I guess okay. everyone was sick all the time. Yeah, um, Another thing that they would commonly eat is burnt toast soaked in water. <laughs> uh, it's, just, it's literally adding insult to injury, right? It's just yeah. like, you're an invalid, so not only do you have to either soak your toast in water or accidentally eat burnt toast, let's do both. Let's it's just both. burn it. Let's burn it and then soak it. What else bad could we do to it? Let's squish it with our foot. 
I mean, it's come on. No good. Also, I don't like burnt toast at all, but I've never I forgotten. Do. I Madonna once said that she loves burnt toast, and I'm just like, she's crazy. Yeah, I um, like it. I like not burnt burnt toast, but with like a little char on it. I'm into it. Nope. Um. Yeah. So tongue toast, in case you're wondering, is I sm- smoked beef tongue mm-hmm. mixed or reindeer tongue mixed <laughs> with. <laughs> Uh, mixed with scrambled eggs, nutmeg, pepper, parsley, and green onions. So that sounds, I, I love tongue. I've never had reindeer tongue, or at least I haven't since the quarantine started. Yeah. Um, but I do love tongue if it's prepared well. It seems like a tough thing for an invalid to, is invalid even okay to say still? It seems like not really. It's not for 2020. I don't know. It just makes me think of invalid, which is like in Gattaca, the great mm. science fiction film. Right. Sorry, Ethan, Ethan Hawk. <laughs> Yeah. Um, anyway, moving on. That's all I had to say about that. Okay. Um, now we're going to talk about Welsh rarebit or Welsh oh. rabbit. Love it. Um, so nobody has any fucking idea why it's called Welsh rabbit. Like, they have a lot of theories. They have a lot of conspiracy theories. Um, but nobody really knows why it's called that. Oh, um, I know why. The first recorded incident of it is in 1725 Uh um but the origin is completely unknown welsh back then just meant strictly foreign because it's in england and so if you're in england welsh literally just meant foreign and welsh people were sort of notoriously known for loving toasted cheese so much so that there's a joke an old tiny 1600s joke about how St. Peter was really annoyed with how many Welsh people were in heaven. And so he opened the gates and yelled out that there's a toasted cheese and they all ran out and he locked the gates. And that's why there are no Welsh people in heaven. <coughs> that's hilarious. I just thought it was because the rabbits in Wales were made of liquid cheese. <laughs> <laughs> but that, um, well, right. according to Wikipedia, that's not true. Who knows? That's a funny joke though. And mean to Welsh people. I know. Christian Bale's um, Welsh, and he's hot. Yeah, so they they basically don't really know. It it actually is interesting. So rarebit is not a word that's used in any other context in the world, except for in association with this. So it's it's a basically, it's supposed to be Welsh rabbit, not Welsh rarebit. Mm. Um, and they don't know why, but it's always just been toasted cheese and like other things mixed with whatever on bread. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this one guy was like, "Well, toad in the hole isn't there's no toad, but I I don't know. This doesn't <laughs> feel like hopefully not. This doesn't feel like a one to one for that, but whatever. Right. <laughs> it's Imagine... one of those mysteries that we'll never be able to solve. Wow, it's fascinating. And unsolved mysteries. There should be an unsolved mysteries episode about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I wanted ages. to, um, so my, I have this cookbook called How to Boil Water, which I think I've mentioned on the podcast mm-hmm. 50 or 60 times. I love it. Um, but there's a little story in here about Welsh rare bit that I want to read. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the author of the cookbook just writing this little blur before her recipe for Welsh rare bit. My brother will probably shoot me for telling this story, but I'm going to live dangerously. He was in his early teens when he and another young man went to a downtown hotel dining room. They were playing the role of young men in the world. When the waiter brought the menus, they looked closer at the items um, on the right side rather than those on the left since they didn't have any money. 
Um, Ed liked to hunt, and when he saw Welsh rabbit, he decided to try it. Besides, it was cheap. When the waiter returned with the order, he sensed something was wrong because the way the waiter was serving the rabbit. He immediately took all the cheese off of the bread to look for signs of rabbit, but found nothing but ordinary toast. After many years, we get a laugh out of this one. Anyway, I think you'll enjoy this Welsh rarebit. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. So it's just like her little weird cookbook is full of random stories like this about her family. But um, I love that. Hers is you take, you know, you have toast and then you mix the cheese with dry mustard and Worcestershire and butter mm-hmm. and a little bit of flour and sounds delish. It's, it is delicious. I was thinking maybe it was actually like a joke at some point, like, Oh, like maybe people in Wales when it was invented were meant, you know, very poor or something. It was like, oh, this is actually what rabbit is in Wales. It's just like a little bit of cheese on burnt on regular toast. Yeah, because they're they're um, they're obsessed with cheese. So that to them, they love cheese. cheese I didn't is the know same that. As delicious rabbit. Apparently. Okay, got it. I mean, I'm making that up, but oh, we can, oh, yeah. We can Let's go with that. it. This um, just in from the wire of the Associated Press. People in Wales <laughs> love cheese. <laughs> um, okay, so now we're going to move on to um, a sandwich called Beef Manhattan. <laughs> this sandwich, according to freaking Wikipedia, the story of this sandwich is very, very detailed, and yet I think the conclusion that comes out of it is that actually they just stole it. But... um Allegedly, beef Manhattan, or what I grew up more commonly eating, turkey Manhattan, um, mm. is an open-faced sandwich where you have one slice of like white bread, mm-hmm. you have turkey, sliced turkey, gravy, mm-hmm. and mashed potatoes all on that slice of bread, and you eat with a knife and fork. Delicious. I, we that was a diner favorite for us growing up too. Yeah, I grew up eating it. There was, it was like one of the school lunches on my rotation at my school cafeteria. Mm-hmm. Um, According to Wikipedia, if you order a turkey Manhattan in Manhattan, they will have literally no idea what you're talking about. Do you think that's true? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Really? Never heard of it. <clears throat> I, I've always heard of that as just uh, a hot... Oh, what am I thinking of? I'm thinking of... What is it called when someone takes a shit on your chest? What is that called? A, a hot, hot Carl? A hot Carl. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> it's just referred to as a hot Carl. No, it's. I think in New York, if I don't even know if they still sell that, but if you went for a di- to a diner, I would just order like an open faced turkey sandwich. Would be that's that. so interesting. Okay, so yeah. that makes sense because allegedly this was invented in Indiana, where I am from. That's crazy. <clears throat> so the the beef Manhattan was first served at a deli in Indianapolis in the late 1940s, where it became a Hoosier staple. Hoosier is what an Indiana person is called. Mm-hmm. Or if you live in Illinois, that's what you call white trash people. Oh, interesting. Um, <laughs> Fascinating. So the dish was named by the naval ordnance plant workers who were trained on a fabrication of the Norden bombsite in Manhattan during World War II. Wow. They ate open-faced sandwiches while they were there, and they brought them back to their cafeteria and called it Beef Manhattan. Wow, that's wild. But so basically what that means is they had a beef, they had an open face sandwich in New York. They brought it to Indiana, they just changed the name. Right. So in New York <laughs> it was just called this turkey sandwich. And then they're like, This is a turkey Manhattan. And then they order one when you come to New York, you order a turkey Manhattan, it's just like a cocktail with a turkey leg in it. 
<laughs> Gross. <laughs> With like a bouillon cube. Ew. Yeah. Actually, so, that'd be good. Yeah, I didn't. I actually did not know that other people didn't refer to this concoction as blank Manhattan. I thought that yeah. everyone did. Um, and it turns out it's because of Indiana, my hometown. That's wild. And That's amazing. One more sandwich I think is what you're thinking of when you're thinking of a hot Carl. Um, (laughs) This is in honor of Derby Day, which was just recently. (laughs) Was it really? Did did the horses race or you didn't? No, they didn't race. Okay. Um, But this sandwich is called the Hot Brown. Mm -hmm. That's a good sandwich. So it's also known as the Louisville Hot Brown or the Kentucky Hot Brown. Um, It was originally created at the Brown Hotel in Louisville, Kentucky. And it's often eaten after Derby Day. It, they basically made it to serve to the really drunk people after the kitchen was closed. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's, it's delicious. Um, but, yeah, so it's an open-faced sandwich with turkey breast, bacon, covered in Mornay sauce, and broiled until the sauce begins to brown. It's um, great. And isn't there, like, um, a tomato on there, too? There, there can be a tomato, yes. Okay. Um, some people use ham. Some people use pimentos. Pimentos were a really big deal in the 70s. Oh, yeah. Um, Everywhere. I don't know why. <laughs> it's just like a little red, a little pop of color. Yeah. Um, but originally, sliced turkey was a rarity. Um, and so when he created it, it was a sensation. <laughs> I just choked on my seltzer. Yeah. And it's popular in Louisville. I, you know, it's not for me. I don't really like hot turkey tbh like oh. even even now thinking about eating a turkey manhattan is something i wonder i mean i just love gravy soaking into bread with mashed potatoes on oh top. yeah but the turkey part i wonder if i would just pick it all up yeah you might i could see you doing that i'd Who eat your turkey hell knows i share a turkey hot carl with you i just think that there's something about <clears> hot <throat> turkey that i just don't i think when i was a kid i didn't like hot turkey because it reminded me too much of ham which i hated mm-hmm. hot turkey Oh, it's like smokier, like the smokiness comes out in it. I yeah, I, I feel you, dog. I smell what uh, <clears throat> the headless horseman is cooking. I anyway. hot hot turkey was um, the hot tuna cover band that I was in in high school. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> should we take a break? Yeah. Okay. Here's a word from our sponsor. Restaurants employ over 15 million people nationwide, and two-thirds of all restaurants are independently owned and not part of big chains. Yet, currently, these small businesses are not represented in government relief negotiations. Roar is working to change that by fighting for relief opportunities for all restaurants. Roar is advocating for an eight-point plan in New York State that will allow restaurants to reopen and rehire when the time comes. Dozens of industry leaders have signed onto this plan, like Namwa Tea Parlor, Field Trip, Momofuku, and many more of your favorites. You can join them at change.org by searching for Roar, relief opportunities for all restaurants. And we're back. <clears throat> Hello. Hi. Hey, that was an that was an amazing um, commercial for Squarespace. <clears throat> <laughs> that was an amazing commercial for Triangle Space. And that was tri- an amazing and- commercial for 
Dracula mattresses. Hot turkey. <laughs> this show brought to you by Blazing Hot Turkey. <laughs> That's my Johnny Carson impression. Okay. That's great. <clears throat> I'm going to talk to you about a man who only needs to go by one name, although he does have two. Elvis. Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> Elvis, Elvis. Elvis Duran from the Z Morning Zoo. No, Elvis Presley, you dummies. <laughs> oh uh, Elvis Presley was born January 8th, 1935. He would have been 85 years old if he had lived. Oh my uh, God. He was he born in. He died gets, of Corona. I know. Of- Isn't that crazy to think about? Jesus Christ. I know. I feel like you should be older. If you're born in 1935, you're only 85? Yeah. I mean, Robert Redford is born in 1936. So he's 84. Tragic to me. I can't even stand the thought of it. He's actually in 83. His birthday's in August. Um, <laughs> like so, me. He's a yeah. Leo. Uh-huh. He's a Lee. Leo um, men are weird, though. I don't know. No offense uh, to any Leo men that are listening to our podcast. Don't worry. Um, there are none. <laughs> I don't think there are any men at all listening to this podcast. But, um... <laughs> Yeah. Leo men are a little interesting, a little weird. I don't know any Leo men, but I'm hoping to meet one. Okay. Or any other sign of the Zodiac, for that matter. (laughs) I think, you know, I only know, I don't know any Leo men either, so maybe they don't even exist. Yeah. Yeah. I've just been warned about them. As a Leo woman, that Leo men and I cannot be together. You know what? I think I know one Leo man who I slept with. I think we're just hooked up with, I think we just hooked up, but you know who it is. I'll tell you after the podcast. Okay. Okay. So January 8th, 1935 in Tupelo, Mississippi, Elvis Presley is born. What, what sign is that? It's Capricorn. Great. Yeah. Um, so his music career begins in 1954. Uh, he famously, um, recorded his first record with, uh, Sun Records, which I don't know if anyone out there is familiar with Sun Records, but it's a label that, <laughs> a little known label started by Sam Phillips, yeah. um, but also no. also recorded uh, Roy Orbison, Jerry Lee Lewis, Johnny Cash. Uh, it was a big deal. And there's a really great documentary about Sun Records, but anyone's interested in watching There's it. also like a fictional movie that's supposed to be really good about Is there? That whole scenario. Ooh, cool. It was funny. I was listening to... Um, after John Prine died, uh, Mark Maron releases all of his interviews with folks that he's interviewed after they die. He'll do like a re-release of the episode. Which is weird. <laughs> it is kind of weird, but it's kind of cool actually, because then you get to like, I don't know. I kind of like that he does that. Um, and I was listening to the John Prine episode and he was talking, I don't think he recorded anything on Sun Records, <clears throat> but he was there for the whole kind of thing. And he knew, uh, Sam Phillips well, and he was talking about it. It was really fascinating. Um, what a cool time in history. But, um, so then he actually ended up recording because of, uh, Colonel Tom Parker. We can't get into Elvis's whole life, but if anyone knows about Elvis, they know about (laughs) Colonel Tom Parker, who was his manager for like 20 years or something forever. And, you know, an, an enabler and kind of just like his handler in a very weird way. Um, I think he was like Swedish or something, but anyway, so he, he, signed him away from Sun Records onto RCA and the first single he released was Heartbreak Hotel in January 1956. So... Never heard of it. 
Elvis Presley is the best selling solo musician of solo musician of all time, which I didn't realize. I mean, I could have guessed, but I might, would have maybe thought Michael Jackson. Have you seen any Elvis movies? Oh yeah, I actually just watched uh, Blue Hawaii last night. Oh right, you did tell me about that. Yeah, um, yeah. I've never seen any. Really cool, like really just fun. Not good, but just right. fun to watch. Um, if you just need like a brain break, actually, I would really suggest watching an Elvis movie. He's very handsome. Very handsome. And in a weird way, it's so interesting. Like, he's handsome, but he's very feminine. He's very, he's, I think he's more beautiful than handsome. Sure. Those <laughs> eyes are incredible. They're, like, otherworldly. Yeah. Yeah. He's very, um, what do you call it when you're not um, androgynous? <clears throat> like, when you're kind of, you know, sexless yeah. in a way. Yeah. Um, I feel like when he gets fat, though, he looks like a dude. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he looks like a dude when he's fat. And that's what I'm here to talk to you about, his fatness. <laughs> Not to be gender normative about Yeah. Like, I don't even know if that's the right way to say it. You know, I'm sorry. You guys know what I mean. We sorry. all understand what you're trying to say. We've been drinking. <clears throat> Goddamn. And, and eating headless pizza. Um. So anyway, Elvis Presley, as we know, had a really kind of rough go of it with fame. Fame destroys people. You, you know, I don't really know if I can verify this, but he seemed like a nice person. He just had like a good vibe about him. And I, I thought you were going to say that you don't know if you can verify if fame destroys people. <laughs> no, I, there's no no proof of it. Just a just a hunch. They haven't um, done an unsolved mysteries on that either. Yeah, there's the data is not in on fame just making people insane. But so as we most of us know, towards the end of his life, he got pretty heavy um he had very poor taste in food in terms of like what was not what's delicious but what was healthy for him so people like eating though like in the 50s everyone sort of or like the 60s and 70s just yeah shit was crazy it was crazy and i think it was his you know it was one of his vices was food um so he tried a lot of diets towards the end of his life i just want to tell you a little couple things about his diets um he did the Sleeping Beauty diet. Do you know what that is? No. Where they would give you sleeping pills. So you would sleep so often that you, like, weren't able to eat. <laughs> what the, it but it put him, like it put him into a coma. Yeah, it put him into a coma. Oh, um, I, mean, that's, I guess that's, that would work. <laughs> and But accidentally. And then in the 70s, his doctor put him into an actual medically induced coma and but he like really that didn't last long because he ended up like falling out of his bed and like hurting himself. So he, he decided was in a medically induced coma. Why for weight loss? For weight loss, yeah. <laughs> that is fucking crazy. It is fucking insane. <laughs> it's really crazy. It's but one like, of the how long, like, you have to be. I mean, in order to lose weight, you it's like a month, right? So, like, yeah, I think it would be for like week, like a week at a time or something. Because then that... you wouldn't be eating for a week. I mean, it's that's crazy. so crazed. I guess it's... I'll try it. We did a whole episode with Brett when Breton was the co-host, um, which we could do a, a number two of this, but diets, like all different crazy diets. And like, oh my this God, was one I of them that we that. covered. We yeah. Do a okay. I, we should do a follow-up. There's my so favorite, many fun diets out there. There's crazy. I did the story of Suzanne Powder, um, but I also talked a little bit about how the avoiding swamps diet, there used to be a diet where like the whole <laughs> basis of the diet was just stay, <laughs> staying away from swamps. Huh. That sounds like a diet for alligators instead of for people. 
<laughs> I know. That's insane. Uh, uh, okay, so one time he went on a diet. Elvis was reported to have slimmed down by eating nothing but jelly made of his favorite black cherry soda and bananas for an entire week. Wait. He just ate uh, jello and ch- soda and banana jello. Jello, not jelly. Okay. Yeah, like a, a jelly. Banana jello. Huh, okay. Crazy. I bet jello is probably a good diet. Um, and by the time that he died, he was eating, they say, uh, 100,000 calories a day, which seems impossible. But, That's impossible. Who said that? Uh, the internet. I don't remember. It was some like weird website that I found this on. That seems like not possible, but <clears throat> when you hear about the kind of things he ate, I don't know. I think he just like really went for it at the end there. And he wasn't a drinker either, but he just like would eat insane, insane things. So... I'm going to tell so you before he had binge eating disorder. He was really binge eating and like in a major way with like really intense things. I'm going to tell you about a couple of his favorite foods before I get into the sandwich portion of this, of this podcast. But <laughs> so a couple of his favorite foods, this is a sandwich. He liked burnt bacon, which sounds like your nightmare. Uh, crumbled. No, that's my dream. I thought you don't like bacon. Oh, you don't like the fat. So you would like burnt bacon. Yeah. If it's all burnt out into crispiness. Yes, so he liked burnt bacon, crumbled on top of bread with lots of mayonnaise, canned black olives, and chopped pecans. Interesting. That is weird. It is weird, and the crusts were removed. I've um, never Is this a, a real sandwich? I don't know, but that was one of his favorite things, apparently. And then this is insane, um, and apparently he would make this himself instead of having his cook make it. He liked barbecued bologna, and oh, he yeah. would take, like, a whole log of bologna, though, not just, like, a slice, and cut, like, scores in it. And then he would baste it with vinegar, lemon juice, red pepper, salt, um, and then cook it for an hour. And then after the first hour, he would cover it with barbecue sauce and then eat it on a sandwich. He'd eat the whole log. The whole log? He'd eat the whole log, yeah. That's so high in cholesterol. That's like fried bologna, kind of. Yeah, except it's a whole fucking log of bologna. That's like... My dad used to make fried bologna sandwiches with ketchup. <clears throat> Oh, that sounds like a, a dream of mine, honestly. I didn't. I wasn't a fan. Oh, really? That sounds great. I would totally... If there was a fried bologna sandwich in front of me right now, I would... I loved bologna as a kid. Bologna with, like, mayonnaise on white bread and chips on the sandwich. Mm. Yeah. What is bologna? <clears throat> it, it's like a... It's mortadella. I mean, it's just, like, ground up. Yeah, yeah. It's just a lower version of mortadella. It's cheap mortadella, really. It's like a hot dog, but bigger. Exactly. It's exactly like a hot dog, but bigger. I also used to eat raw hot dogs out of the fridge when I was a little, little kid. I would sneak them and I'd dunk them in barbecue sauce. So basically I was doing an Elvis. I used to eat the hot dogs from the refrigerator as well with the cheese injected ones. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, they're cooked. It's really just like eating salon. It's like eating bologna. What's the big deal? What's we shouldn't have to problem? eat it in private as three-year-olds. I don't even know if I did it in private. I think my parents were like, whatever. Oh, yeah, I did it in private. Um, okay, listen, he had a chef for like 14 years for the family and her name was Mary Jenkins Langston and she died within the past 10 years, like somewhat recently, but she had like written a book about him and she had started working for the Presleys as a maid in 1963. Um, and then when Priscilla arrived at Graceland, they promoted her to the cook saying that she had a similar preference for homestyle beef and vegetable dishes. And then after he died, she stayed on as the cook for 12 more years. So she worked there for them forever. From like 63. Working there. Like the, yeah. the maid on the Brady Bunch. Yeah. So she said, this is very, very sad. 
um, she said that Elvis, she said that Elvis said that the only thing in life that he got any enjoyment out of was eating. Sure. I mean, that's, that's classic, like depression, binge eating. Yeah. It makes me feel sad because he was so amazing and just to have not gotten to take any joy and how much joy he brought other people is makes me feel sad for him. Poor Elvie. Tiny Elvie. No, Elvie. So the last thing she ever cooked for Elvis was a cheeseburger, but he didn't have any appetite because he was so drugged out and he couldn't eat it. Um, Elvis also loved Spanish tortilla. And there was a rumor going around in in the 1960s that claimed Elvis ate so many Spanish omelets or Spanish tortillas that he caused an egg shortage in Tennessee. (laughs) That's not true. That is definitely just some creepypasta, but it's still funny to say. So... Um, one morning, Priscilla Presley says that Elvis, uh, asked to try what had become his favorite snack after tour, a fried peanut butter and banana and bacon sandwich. So they asked Mrs. Langston, the cook to make it. And she tried five times and she couldn't get it right. She tried to like stacking the bread with the thin banana slices. She did all this different shit and he rejected all of them, I guess. And then his father, Vernon, suggested that they toast the bread before putting it in the skillet, which sounds insane to me, but I guess maybe made it extra crunchy. And then they would grill the bread in bacon fat and grilling the, a quote, grilling the bread to Presley's taste meant using two sticks of butter for every three sandwiches. Two sticks of butter for every three sandwiches? Yeah, so that's like almost... 1.5 sticks of butter... (laughs) It's like a, it's like two thirds of a stick of butter per sandwich. But I don't, how do you, I don't understand how you could use that much butter. It just, and well, here you go. The next thing it said, it'd just be floating in butter, Mrs. Langston said. Oh, so you're like, cause they're frying it. I got it. Yeah. So you turn it uh, and turn it and the butter was soaked up and that's how he liked it. So it was just like really soaked in butter. But anyway, now that's like the famous Elvis sandwich is peanut butter, bacon, banana fried and bacon fat and like tons of butter. Um, but this is what I thought was most interesting, which most people do not know about Elvis, but this was his real favorite sandwich, and it was called the Fool's Gold Sandwich. <laughs> so when Elvis was playing a show in um, Denver in the 70s, uh, the Denver police worked as the bodyguards, and so they would take, like, they took him to their favorite place after the show. And <clears throat> it was called the Colorado Coal Mine Company. And they were famous for making a sandwich that was a hollowed out sourdough loaf with okay. a full jar of peanut butter, a full jar of blueberry jam, and a pound of fried bacon stuffed inside a full loaf. And it was it's supposed to serve like 10 people. The whole thing has like 15,000 calories in it. But he would eat the whole thing. How? He just had a really big appetite. He I ate, don't understand how you could eat a whole loaf of bread with a whole jar of peanut butter in a it. A whole loaf of bread, a whole jar of peanut butter, a whole pound of bacon, and a whole jar of jelly. Also, so, I don't understand... Okay, I don't understand how you serve that. You just, like, you hollow out the bread, so it's like a bomb. It looks like a bomb. It looks like a football. Okay, I'm looking at a picture right now. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. To me, it sounds delicious because I love peanut butter and jelly and I love bacon and I love sourdough bread. So that sounds great to me. I haven't had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I don't even remember the last time. Like, yeah, the bacon to me is unnecessary. Ooh, it sounds good. I love that saucy, crunchy crisp. Mm. Anyway, so February 1st, 1976, they're at Graceland and he's entertaining some friends from out of town who are Denver police officers, Captain Jerry Kennedy and Ron Piastefro. And uh, of Colorado's strike force against crime. So I'm sure this guy was a great guy. Not probably not racist at all. 
and uh, he, they started talking about the sandwiches. So he takes his private jet. This is like in the middle of the night. They all get on the jet, and which was called uh, the Priscilla Peanut Presley Butter Express. <laughs> the peanut butter. <laughs> um, anyway, no, it's named after what's his daughter's name? Not Priscilla. Um, I don't know. Lisa Marie. Okay. Um, it's in here somewhere. Why am I not? Lisa Marie. It's called the Lisa Marie. So anyway, um, they get on the plane, they fly to Denver and then Buck and Cindy, who are the, uh, uh, owners of the restaurant bring 22 sandwiches to the hangar of the airport. They're like $50 each. I guess back then they probably weren't that much. But they bring 22 fool's gold sandwiches and they spend three hours eating all the sandwiches, washing down with champagne and Perrier, and then they fly back. Huh. Yeah. That's just like too many sandwiches. It's insane. 22 sandwiches for like, I don't know, I guess, I, I mean, I'm hoping he didn't eat more than one, but I guess maybe he did, or maybe they took some home. Um, so anyway, Elvis, uh, unsurprisingly, <laughs> unsurprisingly died at age 42, uh, on August 16th. Yeah, he was only 42? He was only 42, yeah. He I was didn't that. Yeah, he was apparently, uh, like 350 pounds when he died. Not that, that, you know, if you're 350 pounds means that you're going to die, but I think he had just gained a lot of weight and was doing a lot of drugs. Um, he was found at Graceland by his then girlfriend, Ginger Alden. Lying unconscious um, in his system, they found large amounts of uh, dilated Percodan, Demerol, Quaaludes, and codeine. Jesus. Yeah. Right. So much. And then in 1980, Dr. Nikosophilus, who they called Dr. Nick, began, who, he began treating Elvis in 1967. He had his medical license suspended in Tennessee for three months in 1980, and they prosecuted him. According to the charges, in the last 20 months of Elvis's life, the star was prescribed over 12,000 pills and other pharmaceuticals and carried around three suitcases of drugs with him wherever he traveled. Did this guy also give other people, famous people, prescriptions? I don't know. I was like a doctor that also got in trouble for prescribing a lot of drugs to people. Well, it's crazy, but he, this guy was like, hey, if it wasn't me, it was going to be somebody else, which isn't, like, a good excuse at all, but... No, um, it's not. <laughs> but it's, it's a terrible excuse, but it is true. There would always be somebody to give... El- I mean, not that it had to be him. He's a terrible person, but, like, uh, there would... I mean, if Elvis wanted three suitcases of drugs, he was going to get it somehow, you know? Which is I guess. unfortunate. What about just one suitcase of drugs? It's so much, and then I always remember hearing... So anyway, the official cause of death was a heart attack, and his family never wanted it to be out there that it was drugs. But I heard that he died because he was so constipated from all of the uh, all the drugs he was taking that he hadn't pooped in like a month, and he was eating all his food, and his bowels were impacted, and that's actually what killed him. But who knows? I had never heard that. Yeah, that's a rumor that's been floating around. But anyway, it's so sad, terrible. Poor Elvi. Yeah, fame is a secret killer. Yeah, it's really terrible. Think of that, everybody, before you want to go on YouTube shaking your butts. This could happen to you. (laughs) (laughs) Moral of the story is don't shake your butt for anyone. No dancing. No. The movie movie Footloose is a parable. (laughs) So, question. We don't have a lot of time left, but let me ask you a question. Top three favorite sandwiches. Okay, I've been thinking about this a lot. I bet. Um, I would have to say... A tuna melt. Oh, 
So good. Ketchup? A little bit of ketchup falls on it? You like that? No, no, no. I mean, I'll probably still eat that bite, but... Mm -hmm. um, I also am... I just love a deli sandwich. Turkey, cheddar, mayonnaise, mustard, lettuce. Get get on there. So good. Um, And... I like the like the triple decker club sandwich at the diner. Mm. So do I. What kind of bread choice? I would get rye. Mm-hmm. That's good. Also, runner up is an egg salad sandwich. Oh hell yeah! On white bread or wheat? I actually like that on wheat bread, oddly enough, and I don't even really like wheat bread. Yeah, wheat bread's a little bit sweeter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my top three are I love. Love, love, love a good Italian special. So yeah, just like, like really good. Yeah, like whatever kind of things they're willing to throw on there. It's not specific. Just like some kind of Italian meats, provolone or fresh mozzarella cheese. I prefer like thinly sliced provolone. Yeah. Um, lettuce, oil and vinegar, peppers, uh, peppers like hot pickled peppers. Um, that's hot the jam. And sweet. Hot, hot and sweet peppers. Yeah, like any kind of Italian Sammy is good for me on a seeded Italian bread. That's dope. Um, mm-hmm. I love a chicken salad sandwich. Um, chicken really, salad really, really into chicken salad. Um, chicken salad be, uh, club is even like maybe a little bit more delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, and my number one is definitely a tuna melt. I like when some ketchup gets, gets on it. I'm not going to like, if I had a tuna melt on a plate, I'm not going to pour ketchup on the plate, but I like what happens when you get tuna melt with French fries and then there's ketchup on the plate and you're like, whoopsie do. More ketchup got onto this tuna melt. <laughs> um, and then I also, I mean, I love sandwiches so much. Um, it's kind of crazy. But I'm going to go ahead and put in um, a vote for a deli bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good sandwich. I like egg and cheese without the bacon. But I do, in my triple decker, I do want some bacon on there. Yeah. Now I want to tell you about something which I'm not sure if you grew up with, but I sure as hell did, which was uh, an egg sandwich, and then they would fry a crunchy hash brown, which was basically like a giant tater tot, and put that on the breakfast sandwich. Have you ever had that? No, but I used to go to my high school had a Burger King like right outside of it, uh-huh. and so sometimes before high school I would use my lunch money to buy. A croissant sandwich. Oh from yeah, Burger King, and put the little Burger King used to have their hash browns like little individual like flat tater tots, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's what um, I'm talking about too. Put those all over the croissant sandwich and <clears throat> have a delicious breakfast, and then no money for lunch. <laughs> that's amazing. And I would get a Dr Pepper with that. Oh yeah, I want to actually mention one other sandwich, which is a lost sandwich that no longer exists, um, which is the scuttlebutt from Salty. Uh, oh, yeah. Salty was the greatest sandwich place of all time, as far as I'm concerned. And they, Carolyn Fidenza, huge props. She's like my cooking idol, the reason I even ever wanted to become a chef. Um, but she had this sandwich shop along with a couple other folks, and they made a scuttlebutt on their fresh homemade focaccia with pimenton, aioli, like all kinds of pickled vegetables, feta cheese, olives. And it was just like the most heavenly and delicious thing in the entire world. Yeah, I have a friend who was actually just telling me the other day that they hated focaccia as a sandwich bread, and they <gasps> did not like salty. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that one person on the earth didn't like salty. It's amazing. But oh, wow. before the the virus attack, they they had sort of redone some of this some of this 
salty sandwiches at Milo and Daughters. I know. I hadn't gotten a chance to to nibble any of them. They're I not also, doing that anymore? I don't. I don't. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, but I also would. I don't eat these very often but in the sandwich world, but the like a eggplant parm sandwich. Oh, so good. So good. The or one like a meatball parm. What? Um, or a meatball parm or a chicken meatball parm. parm. The, the parms that they have at Spazitos in your neighborhood are... Mm-hmm. Delicious. Really fucking good. Yeah, we used to have great parm sandwiches at Brucey, too. I love... Yeah. I love a parm. You know, I'm going to say one more sandwich that I like before we go. <laughs> is that we used to... There's a very obscure sandwich called the Pinnell sandwich, and Pinnell is like a chickpea fritter, so you make it with chickpea flour and water and olive oil, and then you let it set, and you slice it thin, and you fry it. It's a Sicilian thing. Um, they make Pinnell sandwiches at um, Fernando's Picacheria, which is around the corner from my house, Carroll Gardens. Very great, old, old, old school Italian place. Very legit. Um, but we used to make them at Brucey, and you put on a seeded roll, which is called the Pinnell roll. It's like a round brioche roll, basically, with seeds on top. And then it's usually served with fresh ricotta, but we would also put, like, a ton of honey on it and pickled peppers, and it was very good. That sounds amazing. So it's like a chickpea fritter with ricotta, yeah. honey, and peppers. Yeah. Pickled peppers, fresh ricotta that we'd make in-house, lots of honey, and this, like, blazing hot, crunchy chickpea, soft, crunchy chickpea fritter. It was really, it was really that something else. great. Yeah. Also, did we consider a falafel sandwich a sandwich? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we just didn't, I love a falafel sandwich. Mm. So from good. From Oasis. Oh, my God. That was, that's, like, the classic Back in the day, Oasis on North 7th Street in Williamsburg. Yeah, you go there after you go out drinking. Yep, get hummus on it and those delicious, they have the best pickles there for that Yeah, we always get extra pickles. Extra Extra pickles, yeah, extra pickles, extra tahini, and then they had the delicious, like, just red cabbage that they put on it, which was so Mm -hmm. good. And you can get french fries in it. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Mm. Yeah, which is like a a classic kind of halal cart thing that I did not know about until I moved to New York. 50,000 years ago. <laughs> when it was all just dirt road and farmland. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, what a good episode. I love sandwiches. Oh, wait. Yeah, peanut butter and jelly. That's a good sandwich. What? Oh, peanut yeah. Peanut butter and jelly. Day. Absolutely. That's a great, that's a great oh, sandwich. As a kid, what peanut butter did you have growing Skippy up? Skippy or Jif. We had Jif at my mom's house and Peter Pan at my dad's house. Oh, wow. Peter Pan we never fucked with. Usually Skippy or Gif. <laughs> is it pronounced Gif or Jif? <laughs> Can never tell. Jif <laughs> is really good. I had some that not that long ago. Um, you know, added sugar and whatever, but... It's delicious. delicious. I'm sorry. I am. I only do, like, whatever natural peanut butter now, but, I know, but there's like, no it's, competing. There's something really nice about the, the whatever they do to make it so it doesn't separate, which is probably bad for it's you. It's great. But... It's nice to not have to stir up your peanut butter. Because, you know, if you it's, don't stir it up right, some of it gets too dry and sticky. And then totally you have a clump of peanut butter in the corner. It's delicious. I have to be honest. I mean, I'm, I, would, I wouldn't buy it now, but it, I really like it. I mean, I guess I would. The world's ending. Who gives a shit? Buy GIF. Yeah. Buy stock and GIF. <laughs> this show <laughs> also, brought they, to you by GIF. They had those cute commercials where like, the, they would, someone would draw a heart in the top of it, which you could only do with processed peanut butter. Cause oh, yeah. Peanut yeah. butter would... No, no, you can never, never hold a hard and regular peanut butter. Take that. <laughs> That's funny. All, All right. right. Well, well, great episode, guys. Hope Go make yourself a sandwich. Go make yourself a meatloaf sandwich. How about that? Ooh, nice. Yeah, good call. All right. Love you. Love you. Hasta la pasta. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Life's Banquet is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening. <laughs>